Good morning, everyone. Um, we're looking at the Beatitudes series, and uh, we're um, almost uh, to the end, actually, of a series of the sayings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes of Jesus, the B of Jesus, and uh, the reminder that Jesus came for an upside-down kingdom, for a radically different way of living, for a radical different way of being, if you like. And today we're looking at the business of being a peacemaker, Jesus says that actually blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And in saying that, he's saying if you're a peacemaker, if you're caught up in that, then you are part of my family. And actually the original text said you are like the sons of God, that you look like God. If we think of Jesus, the son of God, he shows us what God is like. And he says actually if we're peacemakers, we get to reflect the whole of God's kingdom, to be part of his family. And uh, in recent weeks, I've uh, been looking at Twitter and found two very different pictures of what uh, our society might be becoming like. This is in Beirut, and this is uh, the thinnest building in Beirut, but it is also called the Grudge Building. The guy who built it, built it so that his brother couldn't see the sea from his flat. His motive for building uh, that really weird construction was because his brother's flat would have looked out onto a beautiful vista and so he created what is known as the grudge building. Now we can look open-mouthed at that and it's extreme, yes, but there's a resonance, isn't there, where we think actually sometimes when the people that we find it hard to love, when life is going well for them, when the view for them is good, that there's a sort of meanness in our spirit that says, I don't want that for them. That actually if there's someone in our family that we find it hard to get on with and things go well for them, it doesn't seem fair. There's actually a war within our spirits, within ourselves sometimes, to be kind, to be gracious. And that is ugly. It's ugly as a building, but it's ugly because of what it stands for. And actually, Jesus said, not only in the Beatitudes, but he said it um, in a radical way in the Gospels, love your enemies, but he also said, love your neighbor as yourself. And I used to think that meant as much as yourself until I studied a bit more and realized it's even bigger than that. It's, it's actually love them as though they're part of you. So if I hurt you, I hurt myself. If I do that to you, I do it to myself. If I deprive them of the view, I deprive myself. And actually, a very different picture is this one, taken just a couple of days, and my uh, nephew retweeted it on Twitter. You'll be impressed that I'm using rugby, not strictly come dancing. I thought we'd, you know, diversify in our analogies. Um, but here we are, uh, the Samoa team who regularly pray both before and after a match, being joined by the England team in praying. The Samoa team are very vulnerable at the moment for all sorts of reasons, politically and financially, that I don't understand. But there is a picture and that's a picture of beauty to me. Yes, because it's got rugby players in it, so that's quite a beautiful thing. Um, <coughs> just take that from the tape, please. But also, it's a picture of unity. It's a picture of inclusion, and it's a picture of celebrating that we have more in common than actually divides us, whether that be a rugby match or whether that's something going on globally in our world, that we are called to love radically, extravagantly, and tenaciously when it's tough. And actually, as we come to this service and we look at being peacemakers, most of us will think, do you know what? I'm perhaps quite a peaceable person. 
But it's not just keeping our heads down. Jesus isn't saying blessed are those who kind of keep their heads down and let the world get on with it. No, he's actually saying blessed are you when you stare evil in the face and you love. Blessed are you when actually you do something that is kind, that is generous, that is a third way of living, a different way. And that's the calling on each of our lives. And I don't know whether you struggle with this. I would imagine at some point all of us struggle with it, whether it's in our workplace, our families, uh, or even in our city at the moment, to see what we find offensive going on and seeming to prosper. And yet our prayer is that the kingdom of heaven will flourish, that actually God's peace, his shalom, will flourish. So what is this peace that Jesus wants us to bring, uh, the bridges that he wants us to build? Uh, The word that I absolutely love and one that is used many uh, times in a biblical context is shalom, the Hebrew word. And it means way more than the absence of conflict. It is not just about let's not get involved. It's actually about a, a, a kind of covering, a surrender, a welfare, a serenity, a prosperity, and it's about peaceful relationships with people. It's about the the spreading of peace between people, a kind of wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, everything in its right place between us and God, us and each other, us and the earth, says Jude Gerard, who was in delirious. And that's a beautiful encapsulating, if you like, of what it is that we're called to be involved with. Nothing missing, nothing broken. If we look at our city, that is not a description of our city, is it? We know that things are broken structurally, relationally, they're broken. And yet he said to this body of Riverside, be the peacemakers, be the ones that bring his thriving to the city as we thrive. And it starts with us. Um, I wanted to share briefly two um, examples of this from my own life, and neither of them are particularly comfortable. The first is um, when I was growing up and uh, had quite a a nasty temper, uh, and uh, my mum had a temper as well. And uh, we were in conflict, let's put it that way, and I was shouting in her face. She was the same height as me, and I used the F word in her face, and I called her a name, the worst name I knew, using the worst words I knew, yelling at her. And she did something that absolutely unraveled me. She just said, come here. And I thought, what's going to happen now? And she hugged me, just hugged me and held me to diffuse. And nothing, could have, nothing she could have said would have done what that did because she came against this horrible stuff in me with love. And it it, it confounds us, doesn't it? More than any words that she could have used to tell me about my language, about my attitude. There was loads she had to work on, believe me. But actually, she she loved me. She hugged me. The second one uh, is worse, really, and I've struggled to share it. And this morning, I was wrestling with God over whether to share it. But I, I got through first service, so I will, if that's all right with you. But I don't come out of it very well. Um, at school, you hear many times people will stand on platforms and say that they have been bullied. But you don't often hear from people who are bullies or have been. And at school, for a couple of years, I was a bully. And I went to an all-girls school. I got in with a group that I found very funny, and I found their humor very funny, and I found being rebellious with them very funny. That's the only kind of uh, caveat I give to this, really. 
And I found that there was one girl in our class whose voice I could mimic very well, or I thought I could anyway. And so I started to lead these sort of mimicry sessions of her in the class, which many others copied to her face. And we made her life really, really difficult for two years at school. And after us going on, I mean, even my dad had said to me, Judy, she's not a character in a play. She is a person with feelings. And I'd started to realise that perhaps what I was doing wasn't very right. And then uh, Debbie got some courage, the girl that was being bullied, and wrote to the head and said, here is a list of the names of the group of girls who have been bullying me, and I, I need to sort this out. And good for her for doing that. But when the, the list went and we were all asked to go to the head and the names were read out, mine wasn't there. And I just thought, well, this is ridiculous. I was the one that started the mimicry and I, I just couldn't get my head around it. So I went to the head and tried to take the punishment with everybody else and I went to Debbie and said, why was my name not on the list? Because I've been so mean to you. And she just said, well, Judy, I like you. I always have done. And you just think, what, what do you do with that? I don't know why that was, she had no reason to, but there was something in that grace, again, that was better than anything she could have said to make me actually diminish that, that side of me. And uh, this is a good end to this story, um, where I, when I became a Christian, uh, said to God that I had great shame around that time in my life, great shame, I still do. <coughs> and I... Uh, prayed to God that if ever I saw Debbie again, I would have the courage to go up and apologise to her, thinking that was quite a safe prayer because I lived in Nottingham at the time and I went to school in Kingston-on-Thames, so it was an unlikely thing to happen. But in the economy of God, the heaven and the universe, it was not so unlikely because when I was at home, which I often go back to Surrey, as you know, uh, there she was, sitting there just the same as she looked at school on a 65 bus, in my sight, and I knew it was her. So I did go over to her and I said, I really, really am sorry. I've become a Christian and I need to apologise for all the ways that I behaved at school. And she said, well, I was a Christian. She said, I was a Christian at school. And uh, she said, I, I did really like you, <laughs> which is uh, clearly the grace of God. But I, I tell those two stories, not because I come out of them well, and I really know I don't, but actually... Both times, it was mercy, it was peacemakers that actually confounded anything else. But the diffusing of volatile situations comes when we actually extend a hand of peace, when what we deserve is something really, really quite different to that. Um, so how do we take on this shalom? How do we become part of this wholeness? Well, we have an incredible example in Jesus. And... Um, Jesus, in three situations in the New Testament, shows this shalom in his encounters with people. With the Samaritan woman, if you remember the story, he's at the well with the woman. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He shouldn't even be speaking to her if he was going with the flow, but he's not. He's caught up in this shalom of peace. And not only is he speaking to a woman, he's speaking to a Samaritan. He's having this encounter with her, and he asks for a drink. And in doing that, he is being a peacemaker. He's elevating her status. He's asking for help from her. And in every way, he is being part of this wholeness and this shalom. And here's her response. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? How is it that this, this radical love is, is including me? And actually, it changes the course of her whole life because she sits with the Saviour at the well 
and learns of the living water that he can bring, the shalom that he can bring in our world and in our society. The second may not be an account that you would associate with a peacemaker. Jesus in the temple, turning the tables. Now, you might think, well, Judy, actually, that's the opposite of this, surely. But he is not violent towards people. What he is doing is saying, there is evil, and I'm going to stare it in the face and say it is wrong. The goal of the peacemaker is not always to keep quiet. You know, Jesus is no doormat. (laughs) And thank God, literally, he isn't. He got stuck in, he stared evil and corruption in the face, and he said, this is not what my kingdom looks like. And uh, we can't really get away with being followers of Jesus if we are followers of Jesus today and say it's okay that evil is prevailing. There is a call on us for this shalom, this love, this extravagance. And finally, the servant's ear, I've called this, I'm sure that's not what it's called in the text, but uh, this is a lesser known uh, little account where in Luke, and it's only mentioned in two of the Gospels, and in Luke we actually hear about the healing But just as Jesus is going to his death, Peter, in defense, uses a violent act to strike off the servant's ear as they're coming to arrest Jesus. And Jesus tells, he restrains and tells Peter off uh, for doing that, and he even heals the ear that um, that Peter had taken off the man. So he's facing his own death, he's facing his own arrest, and yet this shalom is so deep in him, is so strong in him, that he wants to bring wholeness, healing, and restoration I don't think that would be my first thought. Would yours? You know, but actually that shows that this kingdom was so much what Jesus believed and stood for and and was there to introduce, that he healed the man. Where there was violence with an act of non-violence, with an act of adding, with an act of shalom, he restored what was broken. And he said this to those around, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? If you know what the prophet said, the prophet said that actually there would come a time when we would put down our swords and our swords would be be turned into plowshares. That actually out of a symbol of violence would come something that brought thriving in our community. And there's something about those symbols, the sword or the gun, as opposed to the plowshare. And if we look at America, I was reading just yesterday that there are so many guns in America now that there is enough guns for every single person to have a gun. In the whole of the United States, that's how many guns there are. And yet there's a guy called Shane Claiborne and what he and his people are doing is having an amnesty where people bring those guns, they melt the metal down and they build garden tools. As Christians, that's what they do. They build garden tools. So from a weapon of destruction motivated by fear, they're saying, let's build something that will nurture, that will be shalom, that will be goodness. And I find that a hugely moving and significant thing. What are the disarms that we're called to give in this city at the moment? How do we disarm evil but still love the people? And we've got it right here in our midst, in Moseley at the moment, with the Scientologists coming. We're going to teach a little bit on that in the new year with some of the apologetics around that. But we are called to love the people. And I've heard some stories of people doing some crazy things against the people. No, we're against the power. And it is evil, some of the things that they're caught up with. But the people, we're called to love. Why? Because they've been deceived. And they are God's people, and he profoundly loves them. And he doesn't want bad for them. What does shalom mean? It means wanting God's highest for people. 
So how do we do that? It's a hard one to navigate. I'm not saying we've got all the answers at all. But our heart surely as church needs to be Shannon. Needs to be that actually we, it's very disturbing that they're here in our city with what they believe and what they do. But actually how do we extend love and friendship while saying we are against the power and we've, we've had a reminder, those drums this morning with, with Matt playing, there's a, there's a reminder that God is bigger, that he is more powerful, that we don't need to be afraid. I, I found that profoundly moving in view of what we were going to be talking about, uh, that actually we don't need to be afraid. And most violence comes from fear, most bullying comes from fear. But actually we can disarm it with love, disarm it with prayer. There's a great phrase which you can hardly see. I can see it really clearly on here, but for some reason it's very shadowy. Um, but there was a picture here of a kind of menacing wolf uh, facing, looking right in the face of the dove. And I, I just put overcome evil with good. One of the most helpful parts of scripture for me ever is that one phrase. Whenever we don't know what to do, whenever we feel overpowered by how the world is, how do we overcome evil with good? And I want us just to be still for a moment and think about something that you find profoundly evil or wrong in our society at the moment, maybe in our city, maybe in our town, maybe globally. And just reflect on that for the moment. Just reflect on the wolf side of things. Not that there's anything particularly evil about wolves, it's just a picture. <laughs> but uh, just think about that for a moment. let's just think about how do we overcome that with good? Is there one thing that God is calling us to do today or this week to overcome evil with good? One thing we can do. It may just be to pray, it may be to write something, it may be to send a text, it may be to write an article, maybe to go and visit someone. To carry this shalom to his people. Lord, I pray for every thought we've just had, and perhaps those will go on to mull during today, that you would show us where we can be those bringers of shalom, those bringers of goodness, of wholeness, where there is evil, that we would sow your love, Lord. Make it be so. Let this not just be an idea, but let your spirit compel us in overcoming evil with good. Amen. In James... Uh, in the first book of James, we're given some brilliant advice to help us in conflict. Uh, it's helped me enormously. Uh, as I said, I, I did have a temper and I, I'm uh, still working on it. But on the whole, God has really helped me uh, by his spirit to, to change. And, and one of the ways that he's done that is just really looking at what are the sources of anger in us. And uh, in James 1... Uh, James says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Isn't that true? You know, when we read in the Psalms that David has hidden the word in his heart so that he might not sin against you, that the more we breathe in of this word, this truth, this Bible, the more our anger is diffused or channeled towards what is offensive to God, aligned, if you like, by the Spirit to what offends him. Because I don't know about you, but one of the prayers that I pray is, God, may I be offended by what offends you. 
not what personally offends me <laughs> in my sort of hot air sometimes, but actually what is it that is offensive to your peace, to your shalom, to your godliness? And, and great advice, so, so easy in theory, but so, so difficult in practice. It's the pause before we write the email. It's the drafts box <laughs> for the email. Very, very important thing to be used, I have found. Pop it in drafts, read it again in the day's time. If it was cross, you probably will change it. And actually, you'll feel better about the one that you send because of that, because of listening first. But when we're quick, and I can say this, when we're quick to react, we react in a certain way. But when we actually just slow a breath, when we just breathe in, then actually there is something really, really helpful for us to be slow to speak. And we love to be right, don't we? Is there anyone else here who loves to be right? It's a lovely feeling, isn't it? When somebody really is wrong. It's lovely because we get to feel great. You know, we know in this instance we are right. And we're going to enjoy it. And we're going to write the email. And we're going to send the text. We're going to make the call. And we're going to enjoy it. And we do for a bit. And then what happens? We feel dreadful. Because actually the consequences of that are not this shalom. They are not this goodness. They are not God's best for that person. They are to diminish them. And actually to live the third way, Jesus says, find a different way. Find what this shalom will look like. So what I thought we'd do to finish is something that uh, Andy and I were laughing because we both used to sing this, which we're not going to do, although some would pay for that, let me tell you. Um, but we are, we are going to actually say this as a prayer together as church. Uh, it's the prayer um, of Francis Assisi, and uh, it's a prayer that he wrote about being bringers of peace. But actually, when we revisit it, it's beautiful words. And the sentiment behind it, the heart behind it, is shalom. It is where there is brokenness, where there is pain, where there's despair. What are we going to bring? What is the alternative way? What is the third way, the different way, the way of peace that you and I can bring? Because I believe, even from today, I believe that there will be an outpouring of shalom from this place and an overcoming evil with good. And I think that's something about God, what God was saying for us. So can we stand together? It's quite long, but... Bear with us because it's all good <laughs> and actually it's all very, very needed in our world and, um, and be of good voice in it as we uh, encapsulate this uh, being peacemakers as children of God today and that's who we are if we believe in him. We are children of God saying this is family together. So let's go. Lord, make a channel of thy peace that where there is hatred... I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by forgetting self 
that one finds. It is forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that we are born to eternal life. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you did die on a cross, on an instrument of violence and torture, so that you could bring peace, so that you could bring life, hope, restoration and resurrection power, both now and eternally, for every one of us who believe and trust in your name today. And Lord, we humble ourselves again to be the bringers of peace, the bridge builders in our world, the bridge builders who do sit and have a cup of tea with someone who perhaps we might find that we, we're not drawn to in our human flesh, but because of your divine appointment, we keep company with one another. And Lord, where our love runs out, would you give us more? Where our grace runs out, would you give us more? Where our mercy runs dry, would you fill us as a merciful people so that we can see this world change daily, person by person, situation by situation, as we overcome evil with good. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.